I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, I am. Plastics. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. That's a deal. Welcome to My Way, a podcast that shares the stories of people who are doing life their way. Listen along as we explore what works, what doesn't, and the experience that happens no matter which path we choose. I'm your host, Sunny Collins. Thanks for listening. Sunny here. Welcome to episode 36 of My Way. Today is the fifth and final part of a super local but ultimately global story on the realities of recycling. There was a huge delay in publishing this episode because I had to do quite a bit more fact-checking, and I feel like I can just keep going down this recycling wormhole until kingdom come. But I've decided to cut the thread here. There is so much more to explore and figure out about recycling, but I hope you enjoy this last episode. And just a note, we toss around terms like LD, HD, PET, polyprope, and PVC. PET is short for polyethylene terephthalate, and its code is number one. Things like Coke and water bottles and its textile cousin known as polyester. HD is short for HDPE, which is short for high-density polyethylene, a.k.a. number two. Your milk bottles and lots of household cleaning products come in this kind of plastic. PVC is number three, short for polyvinyl chloride, which most people are familiar with as it's widely used in plumbing and technology industries. LD is LDPE, or low-density polyethylene, a.k.a. number four. And polyprop, number five, is short for polypropylene, and it's one of the most commonly used plastics. Like, if you don't know what kind of plastic it is, it's probably polypropylene. So we'll go into more detail on all that in the episode. Enjoy! So just give your first name, surname, and then whatever your title is and how long you've been with Get Scrap. Yeah, it's Clinton Alexander-Smith. I've been with GetScrap for about three years, branch manager, see that the operation runs smoothly and yeah, basically anything that goes with the title for branch manager. When I walk into the warehouse at GetScrap, I see a group of guys loading giant bales of white and mixed paper onto a truck. And there's a man overseeing the process and I know this can only be the person I've been dogging for an interview for the last month. I'm glad I didn't know what he looked like, otherwise I think I might have been too intimidated to keep pushing. Alex is serious and soft-spoken. He towers over me, and he looks like the kind of guy you want on your side in a street fight. And in talking with him, I learned that he used to be a cage fighter, and he likes to study law in his spare time. He loves cars, especially BMWs, and he's going to be a dad in about three months. But... I'm looking at this space, and it wasn't what I thought it would be. I pictured towering piles of plastic and paper everywhere, but the space was totally clean, calm, and organized. The whole place is about the size of a school gymnasium, and at the time of my visit, it was about 75% empty. So I ask him, where is everything? 
You know, we work quite fast. We do not like to stockpile. Okay. As it comes in, it must be processed. And I can see that Alex runs a tight ship. There are four guys working, two sorting paper and two working the baler, and one is out sick. Considering he has such a small team, I wondered how many tons of paper, cardboard, and plastic he can process every month. And to my surprise, he said it depends on the season. During winter, it was quiet. Summertime, it's blooming. So if, if it comes to seven, summertime, if, if we start with cardboard, roughly we process between, let's say, 100 and 250 tons a month. That, that's a lot of cardboard. Plastics, we do about, it's a variety of different plastics. You get your different type of grades. We do about 83 to 90 tons a month. You see, that's, that's one category for all the hard plastics. Then you get your soft plastic as well which is also about 70 tons a month. In 2018, South Africa recycled just over 350,000 tons of plastic. The recovery rate is high compared to other countries, about 46%, which is crazy because one-third of South Africans don't even have access to waste management services. Consider this next to the United States, which has a recycling rate that hovers between 3 and 4 percent. And according to the World Economic Forum, Germany is number one, followed by Austria, Wales, South Korea, and Switzerland as the top five countries with the highest rates of recycling. But as much as I love statistics, they can be tricky as well. These percentages and rankings reflect how much plastic is recovered, not necessarily how much plastic is recycled. And as a note, South Africa recycles 67% of the PET, or number one bottles, it produces. However, it only produces less than half a percent of the global plastic production. Where does most of it come from? You'll say like shopping malls, people that's walking on the roads, picking up. You see, we do a great deal in trying to keep the environment clean. by helping the people that's on the streets. So what they do is they walk around and collect all the plastics on the road and they bring it to us. You know, we we pay them for it. And I saw a lot of these people, most of them men, from what I could see. And according to recent statistics, there are about 60,000 pickers in South Africa, people who harvest recyclables from dump sites and take them to companies like Get Scrap in exchange for money. These guys have trolleys and carts. Some of them are literally dragging things behind them in giant bags, all of them walking in the direction of Get Scrap. And Alex told me that some of the regulars make a pretty good daily wage doing this kind of work. It's not easy work being a picker, but he knows of one guy who sometimes pulls in up to 1,200 rand a day. When we were talking, a man came just inside the gate to fetch his trolley, Alex then explained that a lot of these guys have their trolleys stolen by other pickers, so he says that sometimes they leave their trolleys close to the yard because they know he'll look after them. So Alex buys paper, cardboard, and plastic from these pickers. Okay, so then what kinds of plastics do you accept here? I take LD, low-density plastic, HD, polyprop, 
anything that I can process. The only thing that pet, I... Pet, obviously. Pet, yes. Yeah. The only thing that I really do not want to touch is PVC. Because uh-huh. that is a big pain in the neck. Yeah. When you work with PVC, that is a great that most of the people hate. Because it's a time-consuming grade. You need to chip it in small little pieces, wash it and sort it color by color and then send it away to see if it can be processed. Um, but most of the technology for today, for example, the ring you were talking about on the bottles, if, if, if you take a plastic Coke bottle, they call that PET, like PET. So if you take that PET bottle and you send it to them, that small little ring, if you put a quantity of one ton of PET inside the machine to be processed, that small little ring is not going to make a difference for what they do with it. But when it comes to different types of plastics like HD and polyprop, that, that that's a bit tricky. I won't say it's contaminated, but the way they mix it, they will put some polyethylene with HD and now it comes to the point where it, it's not, not recyclable anymore because it doesn't process or melt or do what they want to do. Basically, every plastic has its own personality, and during the recycling process, you need to keep them separate or you get a sort of personality disorder with the end product. If you as a manufacturer need a container with the characteristics of number two, you don't want it behaving like a number four. So I raised the issue with him about the fact that drink bottles may be number one PET, but the cap and the ring around the neck of the bottle is number five polypropylene. In fact, most of the lids now is HD. Really? Yes. So you send the whole thing just like that. There used to be a time when you would take the lid on the inside of the lid, there will be a piece of rubber or a little styrene um, plastic that's keeping it from leaking. And according to Alex, the lids in general have been redesigned with recycling in mind. So the whole lid is HDPE, which is more easily dealt with than polyprope or polystyrene. However, take a look at the milk bottle cap or a soda cap, and more likely than not, it will read HD slash PP. And the number below it, number seven, which Alex said he doesn't touch. So you can see why the coding system sends mixed messages for the average consumer. And the only thing that I can figure is that polypropylene is close enough to the chemical resistance personality of polyethylene, and that Eh, it's probably okay to mix the two. But you know, because Alex said I could put the cap and the bottle all together, well, that's what I'm going to do until somebody tells me otherwise. And then polystyrene. There's only a handful of people that work with it. It's, it's in the same category as PVC. Uh-huh. See. If I get it, yeah. I will take it, but I'm not asking for it. Um, polystyrene comes from low-density plastic. Polystyrene. We know it well as takeaway containers, packing peanuts and plastic cutlery, single-serve yogurt containers and roof insulation. It is beloved for its lightweight ability to transport temperature-sensitive or fragile items ranging from flat-screen TVs to human organs. However, Because of these characteristics, polystyrene is often seen polluting our waterways and oceans all over the world. And then the other category. 
<laughs> the number seven, the polycarb, acrylic, fiberglass, nylon. Miscellaneous. Miscellaneous. I do not touch it. You don't touch it. No. Okay. No. With all of this nitpickiness, I assumed that Alex likely sends a significant percentage of stuff to the dump, but he's adamant that this is definitely not the case. He takes great pride in the fact that they send very little to the dump. For instance, if they process around 600 tons of cardboard, paper, and plastic a month, they often end up with less than a ton of rubbish. So then you rebale everything, and then where does it go from there? It goes to the people that, that, that does the int product with it. Alex sells to various companies like MyPlus and ExtraPet. Cape Town-based MyPlus purchases HDPE number two, LDPE number four, and PP, or Polyprobe number five. ExtraPet, as their company name indicates, specializes in the processing of pet number one plastic and they process over 2 million pet bottles a day. So once your plastic, which you sorted and sent to Booty, which he sorted and sent to Alex, which Alex sorted and sent to one of those companies, here's where your plastic gets a total makeover. The first thing that happens is it's shredded and grinded into itty bitty flakes. Then it's baptized, washed clean of any impurities so it can begin life anew. After that, it's extruded into pellets, otherwise known as nurdles. These pellets are roughly the size of your pinky toenail. And this is the raw material from which future plastic products are made. These nurdles are also used in its raw form as filler for plushy toys, most of which are made in China. And on that note, I asked if he was keeping up with the recent decision by China to ban the import of most recovered materials from a lot of countries in the world. Places like the US, Australia, and many European nations have spent decades creating a culture of recycling, but this culture was built around China's acceptance of all those recyclables. And as of 2018, China said no more. They're tired of being on the receiving end of millions and millions of tons of contaminated recovered materials every year. The reason that China became the receiver of so much of the world's crap was, well, because they were selling these places all of their crap. So someone in China thought, hey, there's no point in sending full shipping containers and having them all come back to us empty. I'm sure we can figure out a way to recycle stuff. So let's buy their crap and make some of that into new crap. I'm simplifying, but you get my point. So imagine a relationship in which you sold your goods for, let's say, 60 rand a ton. But then your buyer's standards change and the market flips. And suddenly that buyer says, sorry, I can't pay for your goods anymore, but you can pay me 1,400 Rand to take it off your hands. And if that's too much, I'll cut you a deal. You can just pay me 700 Rand to burn it all. So what would you do? As you might guess, many towns and cities are opting to just incinerate or landfill their recycling because they can no longer financially justify their recycling programs. So you have you guys felt the effect of that here? Hectic. Really? Because all the prices is going down. Okay. Um, for all the products we sell, 
the, the amount of money that you get for it has come down significantly. He said that less than a year ago, he was paying people about one rand eighty to two rand eighty for a kilogram of cardboard. Now, he's paying at most fifty cents a kg, and that's on the upper end. He knows of other places that only pay twenty cents a kg, and for any American listeners, that's a penny per kg. So, the global spat between China and America. It ripples all the way down to the livelihoods of the approximately 60,000 pickers right here in South Africa. But here's the other issue with recycling, particularly when it comes to plastic. You cannot recycle the same soda bottle forever and ever. Amen. You can send it through two to three times before that particular bottle is no longer worth recycling. If you want that old bottle to compete in quality with all those shiny new bottles, then you have to keep adding virgin plastic to the process. This is what's known as downcycling. Yes, you're creating something from recycled materials, but it might not be of the same quality as the original material. If you take a two-liter Coke bottle,、mm. you are pressing the plastic. To you, it feels like one piece of plastic,、mm. but in fact, it's not.、Mm-hmm. It's a multi-layered. Plastic.、Okay. So each time they recycle it, the layers get thinner and thinner and thinner、yes. until it gets to a point that it's finished. So let's do a quick little science dive. Plastics are made up of polymers, which are large molecules. So consider something like water. It's a small molecule made up of three atoms, H2O, two hydrogens and one oxygen. But A polymer. Let's take for example PET, which is C8H10O4. You're looking at repeating chains of between 10,000 and 100,000 atoms per molecule. And all that's to say, polymers, like our many fantastic plastics, are long and strong and refuse to die. So they do not go gentle into that good night. So when Alex says that these bottles are finished, he obviously doesn't mean it disappears. It just means that it becomes more degraded over time, but forever present in the environment. And this is thanks to the first and second laws of thermodynamics, which state that nothing can be created or destroyed, and entropy, or let's say dishevelledness, increases over time. In short, whatever you have quote unquote thrown away in your lifetime. It's all still here on this planet. It hasn't disappeared. And if I think too long about this one, I feel like my head is going to implode. <laughs> And there's no denying that plastics have changed our lives. And funnily enough, the roots of the invention of plastic circles right back here to Africa. You see, in 1869, the game of billiards was incredibly popular. And What were billiard balls made of? Ivory from African elephants. And one particular firm in New York was so troubled by this that they offered ten thousand dollars. Remember, this is 1869, to anyone who could come up with a synthetic substitute for ivory. Enter American inventor John Wesley Hyatt. He combined camphor with cellulose from the cotton plant, and he ended up with the first synthetic substitute for horn, tusk, and shell. 
And since then, we have embraced the sharply double-edged sword of plastics. And as a human, I can confidently say that we excel in the innovation department, but we have a history of missing the mark when it comes to life cycle cost analysis of these innovations. And a recent paper that came out of Witts University gives a nice overview of life cycle assessments and recycling in South Africa. And a life cycle assessment is the process of evaluating a product or package, let's say a plastic drink bottle, and looking at every stage of that package's life cycle. How is it made? Where is it made? And by whom? What resources are required to make it and break it down? How long does it stay in the environment once it has served its often single-use purpose? And then that information can inform better and more environmentally sensible ways of producing something. This information can also be used to shift marketing tactics and ultimately drive government policy. And in South Africa, an estimated 70% of our waste ends up at the dump. And it's been estimated that just over 5% of South African households recycle. Over the last several decades, so much of the design process has replaced durability with disposability. And while more and more companies are awakening to their environmental obligations to future generations, we still have to find a way to deal with all of this geriatric plastic that will not die. And then Alex told me about companies that are now taking all of this old plastic and using it to make roads. And it's true. There are companies in the UK and the US that are using different types of technology to incorporate this giant global pile of retired plastic into new roads. So imagine having the technology in South Africa to scrape off the tops of the roads, reinforce that tar with recycled synthetic binders, and lay down a new road. And not just a new road, but a stronger road with a much smaller carbon footprint because you aren't hauling truckloads of waste away and hauling truckloads of new tar in. And the potential for this is exciting because it makes economic and environmental sense. Although I'm still a bit itchy over how the current system encourages us as individuals to enthusiastically take part in a throwaway culture. <sighs> I don't really think they have a misperception of what recycling is. It's, they, they are not schooled to know what the end product is. They, they do not want to take the time to participate in it. Do you recycle at home? <laughs> you work with recycling all day, every day, when you get home, you want to kick out your shoes and just lay there and just die. You know, I'm going to give Alex a pass on this one. I get it. It's kind of like a chef coming home and not wanting to make dinner, or a vet without pets, or someone who canvasses all day for people to conserve water, and all they want at the end of a day is a nice, long, hot shower. I get it. Even the most righteous of us have our vices. Like, I know that coffee cups can't be recycled because they're lined with a thin layer of polypropylene, but I still get them sometimes because I keep forgetting to bring my reusable mug. Where does Get Scrap stand in terms of businesses that recycle or are part of the recycling process of paper and plastic? 
like how many other businesses are there in the Western Cape, in South Africa? There's, there's a lot. The recycling people, there's a lot. Um, if I must talk about quantities, I do not believe any other recycling company moves as much as we do, as quick as we do. In fact, GetScrap is one of approximately 300 active recycling companies in South Africa. You get your small guy with a bucket that's got his own little recycling plant at his yard and he's looking somewhere to sell, but he's not going to go to the big dogs because they do not take it the way he wants to sell it. So now that is where we and people like Booty step in. Because Booty is a trusted supplier of Get Scrap, and Get Scrap is a trusted supplier of the end product companies, there is quality control down the line of what product they can ultimately accept from Get Scrap. You sort at home, Booty sorts what you put out, and Alex and his guys sort what Booty brings in. So by the time it gets to places like MyPlus, Twin Saver, and Extra Pet, most, if not all, of the sorting has already been done. After our chat, Alex walks me through the warehouse. He tells me that he's not used to talking so much, and he and his guys are doers, and you can see this. A lot of action and very little chit-chat. It isn't hard to see why he and his team of five are so efficient. We walk up to two men who are ripping out the paper from discarded school notebooks. So what they are doing now, they are running through the bags of white paper and taking out all the stuff that must not be in there. Like there as well, they are busy tearing the books, taking off the common mix, they are upgrading the product. I watch as the collective hard work, corrections, love notes, scribbles and doodles of hundreds of South African students is torn out and thrown into a knee-high pile on the floor. White paper is more valuable. If you bale white paper at, say, 500 kilograms, only 20% of that can be color, and at that, only pastels due to chemical processing as this white paper is turned into toilet paper. And that makes me wonder, if white paper is commonly downcycled into toilet paper, what previously important documents are we collectively wiping our bums with? And then we walk over to the towering bales of plastic. Each plastic's got its own different smell, uh-huh. feeling, and by burning it and feeling it, it tells you what it is. Ooh. You just need to listen. You're the, like the plastic whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> if only. And it's true. Each plastic has a unique flame and scent signature. And while I don't recommend burning plastic and breathing in the smoke, it was interesting to smell each type of plastic as he held each one over a lighter. PVC, as you might imagine, smells acrid and toxic. Polypropylene, LD, and HD all smell a bit like a burning candle, and oddly, PET smells sweet, like burning sugar. And at the end of my visit, Alex walked with me to my car. And as he crossed the road, a rogue plastic bag made a break for it. But before it could escape, Alex snatched it up and stuffed it in his pocket. And he said, see, I'm doing my part. We can use this bag. Thanks for listening to the final episode of this series called Recycling Realities. I hope you learned a little bit more about recycling in Grayton and beyond. I know I did. A huge thanks to Booty Bantam and his team, as well as Chad Dean, Alex Smith, and Andrew Bishop from Get Scrap. If you want to learn more about recycling, you can check out all the references I've posted 
in the show notes. For the next episode of My Way, we will be back to our regular format of conversations with the quirky and interesting folks of Grayton. Please take a moment to rate the podcast on iTunes. This is a huge help for the podcast, and it only takes a moment. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and follow at Podcast Cowgirl on Facebook and Instagram for photos and updates. See you next time.